Hello there, I'm Austin Bristow, and you're listening to On The List. For episode 24 on Thursday, May 6th, I'm joined by Pitch List writer Jim Chatterton. Jim, thanks for joining me. Hey, Austin. Thank you. And we have a first for the On The List podcast. I am actually joined by two people tonight. Jim, who else do we have here? (laughs) Uh, Sitting on my lap is my three-month-old daughter, Elizabeth. She is staring intently at the computer screen um, and not making a peep, which is surprising. She's being so good, and she is adorable, folks, let me tell (laughs) you. Very much got her dad's eyes. (laughs) All righty. Well... For those who haven't yet listened, each week on the list, I am joined by a writer from our Pitchless staff, where we'll talk baseball, we get to know them, talk a little bit about what they've been working on recently, and of course, at the end, we will do a mailbag session. If you want us to answer your questions on the air, you can send those questions over to me on Twitter. I am at Brostowski, and the show Twitter is OnTheListPL. Jim, where can the people find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me at Jim Chatterton BL. Hey, pretty straight very straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> now, Jim, I like to start things out here very easy. Um, you know, very open-ended question here. Just tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, well, as you already heard, I'm a new dad. Uh, this is my first daughter. Uh, she was born in February, and um, so that's been exciting. I've been on paternity leave for the last five weeks or so and uh, next week's my last week so i'm kind of gearing up to get back to work it's been a crazy time but um but yeah i uh, grew up in new jersey so i grew up a mets fan and um you know that has its ups and downs but <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does this is our second week in a row that we have a uh, new jersey boy on as we had uh, steve jiswelli last week Nice. Yeah, and, and right now I live on Long Island, um, and I'm actually going to be moving to Detroit this summer, and My I'll be there for a, a little over three years. But yeah, I my wife's from the Midwest, and I lived in the Midwest for a couple years, and like I feel like I'm a Midwest person. So I wouldn't be surprised if we settled down in the Midwest somewhere, be it around Chicago or even just stay in Michigan somewhere. So yeah, I'm where, really excited. Where at did you used to live in the Midwest? Uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Ooh, okay, yeah. okay. That's a nice area. Yeah, being a being a kid from a small town in central Illinois, I'm I'm very much Midwest at heart, even though I live in the South now in North Carolina. So I definitely uh, the Midwest is what it is. You are not. It, it, it does not uh, offer you more than you think it will, nor does it offer less. And. I the the few times that we've already been out there to kind of like look at places and, and we found a place eventually, but just like the experience that we've had uh, compared to just the people that we talk to and interact with on a daily basis on Long Island is just night and day. And we're so excited to just like be around normal acting nice people. Yeah, I'm genuinely <laughs> curious. What, what, what would you consider like the typical interaction with like a long islander versus uh i don't know what you call someone from detroit a detroitian um, that's a good question but i i think it's the 
the the stereotype of being in the New York metropolitan area of like everybody's kind of like out for themselves and um and really only thinks for themselves in a lot of ways and um it's just been really dragging us down and so whenever we interact like there's one story that my wife always goes back to was when we were visiting Detroit she was at a Whole Foods and trying to just find some seltzer and this guy was stocking the shelves and immediately turns to her and says hi can I help you what are you looking for and like that is not something that we would ever experience anywhere (laughs) in any place like even if it was a Whole Foods probably in Long Island just like actual workers caring for the people that they're trying to work for. (laughs) Okay. I've never been to New York. So I, uh, I've heard, you know, secondhand from yourself, Nick, Dave, people like that, but I haven't actually, you know, experienced that whole New York mindset up to this point. It's interesting, but yeah, since I grew up in New Jersey, I, I kind of lived with it my whole life and, having that experience of living in Madison for a few years and seeing what it could be. Um, I've kind of realized that I, it would be nice to, to, you know, live in the Midwest for the yeah. rest of my life and raise my kids there. So I like to tell Southerners that, uh, a lot of people in the Midwest are fairly curt. Um, not rude by any means, just kind of curt. If they mm-hmm. if they want to talk to you, they'll talk to you. But if they don't really have anything to say, a lot of times they won't. Yeah. As far as you know, interactions with strangers, I as, as I should say. Yeah. Well, very nice, very nice. Uh, what brings you to Detroit, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah. So my wife is an OBGYN, uh, and she's graduating her residency, and that's why we're on Long Island right now. So she's graduating residency, and she got a fellowship doing um, high risk obstetrics with the Wayne State University at the Detroit Medical Center. So we're going to be out there for three years for the program, and then we'll see where it takes us. So I'm lucky enough to have been working remotely for the last three years, and I can just continue doing what I do wherever I want. So I just kind of pack up my bags and follow wherever her doctor stuff takes her. Wow, that's really impressive that sounds like multiple congratulations are due for her career and now your guys' first child is very exciting time in the yeah, Chatterton thank household you. thank you wow yeah my wife uh just finished her schooling to be a physician assistant so we're very much nice. kind of same Congrats. boat she's now looking for jobs around the north carolina virginia area so should nice. be interesting as we as we also gear up for a move sometime in the near future well, what is it that you do? You mentioned you can kind of pack up and do it wherever. Yeah. So I've been working in software since I graduated college doing like customer support, tech support stuff. And for the last like seven or so years, I've been hopping around different computer security startups and doing customer support, technical support, uh, professional services. So right now I am with a company called Swimlane doing professional services, which is uh, helping set up Swimlane software at new customers. And um, I don't really want to go into like what the product is, but it's computer security stuff. 
Yeah, we have a lot of tech guys at Pitchulist. Yeah, so you mentioned, you know, you grew up in Jersey, been a Mets fan for all your life. Uh, tell me a bit about that, some of your experiences you had. I assume you've been to, you know, Shea Stadium and uh, now City Field a few times in your life. Yeah, so it, my Mets origin story is that my dad grew up in New Jersey in the 60s. So, you know, he experienced Tom Seaver and the Miracle Mets and like he fell in love with them. Like the he, he told stories of the, his elementary school teachers letting them play the radio for any of the playoff games. And so that's where he really fell in love with the Mets and brought brought it to me. There's pictures of me in like Mets onesies as a child. <laughs> now, um, does Elizabeth so, own a Mets onesie? Actually, she doesn't. There's a problem here. I know. We need to fix that. But she has a handful of New York Rangers onesies. Um, and she has a pitcherless onesie. So that's important. Wait. Pitcherless onesies exist? They do. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. I know. She's just almost big enough to get into it. So oh she'll, be, she'll be sporting that pretty regularly. That's fantastic. I had no idea we sold picture list onesies. Yep. That makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, head on over to, I believe it's pitcherlist.com slash shop, I believe is our shop. So you, and you can get yourself a picture list onesie for the little ones in your life. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Going to Shea Stadium, like we had a lot of like the season packages, not like season tickets, but we'd do like 12 game kind of situations and, and stuff. And I went a ton during uh, my high school years. Um, some of my favorite times were we sat behind the dugout for my one of my friend's birthdays and like Carlos Delgado tossed him a ball. And but that game was against the Cardinals and it went into extras and there was a runner on second tie game Pujols is up first base is empty the guy like the section next to us yells you gotta walk him he's gonna hit a homer here and he hits a home run (laughs) oh no but it was like one of the best experiences um like just amazing seeing Pujols at his peak you know like today was the day that we heard that he got cut yeah. from the angels and like just remembering what he was like back in like oh seven it's just a monster yeah. and um so yeah uh another awesome game i went to was the end of the 2007 season the second to last game the mets like are barely hanging on to try to get into the playoffs they eventually don't but john main pitches a no hitter into the eighth or seventh or eighth. I think it was, he was in the, I forget exactly how deep he was. He might've been in the eighth with a no hitter. Mets never had a no hitter before then. Not until Johan came around later, but um, so the crowd is like so tense and John main absolutely dealt and it was awesome. Um, but then they lose the next game and they miss the playoffs because Tom Glavin gave up like six runs in the first to the Marlins. <laughs> Oh, geez. It, I always forget that Glavin ended his career in New York, and it bums me out as a Braves fan. <laughs> uh, I wore number 47 um, in high school because of Glavin's time on the Mets. Wow. 
I really liked him. Yeah. I mean, he's a very, very likable character, so I'm not surprised. Oh, yeah. I went and looked up Pujols' numbers, and yeah, there's a reason he's called the machine. I mean, he debuted at 21 years old in 2001, and in his first season, he immediately got full playing time for 161 games. He hit 37 homers, 47 doubles, uh, which totaling 130 RBIs, 112 runs, a 329 average, 404 on base, and 610 slugging. That's his rookie year. Did he win MVP that year? I do not know, but dang, he must have been close. Uh, 2001 NL MVP would have been bonds oh barry bonds won it in 2001 let's see what did he do that year bonds in route to an mvp pools finished fourth behind bonds sosa and luis gonzalez oh Uh, yeah that was gonzalez's like 50 something homer season it was yeah 57 home runs bonds all he did to win mvp was hit 73 home runs steal 13 bases bat 328 with a 515 on base and an 863 slugging yeah so i don't know they might i can see an argument for giving it to Buholz. no i cannot that was (laughs) um but yeah Buholz would go on to be one of the best hitters of his generation, easy future hall of famer where he's got 667 home runs. If he know, if he doesn't play another game, a, even with his struggles down the line, his rate numbers are still ridiculous. 298, 376, 545 are his slash line there. The Cardinals got to bring him back for the rest. Like they got to sign him for some time this season and just have him, let him retire as a Cardinal. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. Even if they do like the kind of ceremonial one day contract, like man, he is, he, he ought to go into the hall of fame as a Cardinal. He had some decent seasons in LA. He, his first season there, he still batted 285 with 30 home runs in 2015. He actually hit 40 home runs again in LA. So he had some decent seasons there. It's just, he's nowhere close. Yeah. He's 41 and he his his feet are broken. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, he's he's. I'd imagine he's probably done. Um, I'd love to see him come back to the Cardinals, like you said, but otherwise, I would I would be surprised if any other team is all too interested. Yeah, no, I don't see him getting picked up anywhere but St. Louis. Yeah. To to hop back to the Mets, um, I want to just comment about Shea and city in general, like Shea stadium was just like, I think it was just cool because it was ancient in a way. Yeah. But it was such a gnarly stadium. City feels just unbelievable. I love it. Like the Shea stadium is only good for like, it's nostalgia, but and weirdness and, and like the odd, structure of the building and it looked cool but city is just an awesome ballpark yeah i mean shea was another one of those that was 
multi-purpose used for a bunch of stuff besides baseball sort of thing yeah so whether it be jets games or um concerts or whatever else yeah shea stadium was certainly not ideal but it was very cool i didn't realize the the mets stayed there until 2008 city field is younger than i thought it was for whatever reason, I had had it in my head that City Field has been in operation since the '90s. Oh wow! Nope. Yeah. yeah, all the all the good Mets teams in the with David Wright and Jose Reyes were all Shea Stadium. Oh, Jose Reyes was so fun to watch back in the day. Yeah, David Wright and Jose Reyes. Like, look at their 2006 through 2008 numbers. It's ridiculous. I don't know how. Like, that's what makes 2007 and eight that upsetting because they were ridiculously good teams well now i gotta look up they were right jose reyes's lines so oh mm-hmm. oh seven and oh eight let's see in yeah, in oh six but like yeah and in, in uh actually yeah oh seven was Wright's best year when he was 24 years old he hit 30 home runs stole 34 bases nice 30 30 season there with a yeah. 324 average 416 on base dang 8.4 F4 in 07. I didn't realize he was ever a 30-30 player. I, d- I guess I don't remember him as much of a base stealer, but yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the only time he stole more than 30 bases. He got close a couple of times where he would steal 27 in 09, and it was over 20 a couple other times. But Before you look up Jose Reyes, guess how many steals Reyes had in 07. <sighs> See, back in 07, people still stole bases. Yeah. So I'm going to say, and he was a speedster. He was one of the best base dealers. So I'm going to say 62. Uh, under by, I wouldn't say a lot, but a decent amount. He stole 78 bases. In wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Again, 05, the best year. 60, 06, 64, 07, 78, and 08, 56. And I mean, even if you go to his one year in Miami... He stole 40 in 2012. Wow. I did not realize that he ran that much. And still with some pop. I mean, through 06 through 08, Jose Reyes hit 19 home runs, 12 home runs, and 16 respectively. So good average, ridiculous speed, and a bit of pop. Man. Yeah, you guys were spoiled back in the mid-2000s. Yeah, except for, you know. (laughs) <laughs> the, the rest of the team that was 07 and 08 yep uh end of the season oh man Ugh. now i as a braves fan i gotta ask what are your thoughts on chipper jones you know like i i think he was one of those guys where i grew up and i was still too young to really understand Cause he wasn't, he was like amazing in the nineties and like uh, the turn of the millennium. Right. Right. But for me, like my heart is like in terms of rivalries with like Utley and Rollins and Howard, you know, that's fair. So I'm like, yeah, Jones, like he was annoying and like the Larry chance and everything. Like I, got it but it wasn't something that i felt in my soul <laughs> it uh it never 
ceases to entertain me whenever I remember the fact that La- that uh, Larry Chipper Jones uh, named his first son Shay. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that is the most petty thing I've ever heard in my life, and it's fantastic. But against the Mets, uh, from 2002 on, because for whatever reason, the splits tool on Fangraphs doesn't want to give me his earlier numbers. From 2002 <laughs> through the end of his career, he batted two, 273 with 26 home runs uh, in 153 games. So basically a full season's worth of at-bats against the Mets. He was pretty darn good. Let me see if I can find his Yeah, and that's here. not that's without like his good years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he had a 124 weighted runs created plus uh, just from 2002 on against the Mets. Yeah, that's... just tore up the Mets. It was it's so so fun. <laughs> At least for me. Yeah. Oh man, good stuff. Well, so do you, I assume um, growing up with Wright and Reyes, uh, someone in that group has to be your favorite player growing up, right? Yeah, right. Right. That's fair. Right. It, I mean, <laughs> right. It's right. He's the yeah. captain. Um, he's just like Bright and Reyes were both interchange, somewhat interchangeable, but I gravitated towards Wright, like being the captain, being like like the righty batter. I was a righty batter, um, just trying to emulate him when I'm like hitting and everything like that. And he's just like an awesome dude. Yeah, he seems and I got like... I got his jersey for my birthday in like '06, I think, That's and awesome. I still wear it. It's the only jersey I have. <laughs> Honestly, it's the only one you need. Like, I I've been thinking about like what if I got a Degrom jersey or something like that? Because whenever I get a jersey, it has to be somebody that's like a generational time, right? talent. Yeah. yeah, someone that the Mets are gonna retire their number, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, is is a uh, is Wright's number already retired by then? No. No, they the Mets like don't do jersey retiring. Do they not? I didn't realize. Well, that. they do, but it's like I mean, I mean that in like a they've fallen well behind. Um, is it Kuzman's jersey is going to get retired the next year or something? And like Piazza's just was retired. Wow. Um, I think it's because it's like you know they're. Yeah, it's just like Seaver. The only player is like Seaver and Piazza. There are, yeah, one, two, three, four, five total numbers that the Mets have ever retired. I didn't realize that they didn't do that. So, uh, number 37 for Casey Stengel. He was the club's first manager back in, um, back in the early years back there, I believe in... 60, like 60s, um, yeah. 62 to, s- s- uh, I forget, but yeah, he was, it was like the first few seasons. Yeah. Gil Hodges managed the 69 Miracle Mets, um, for number 14. Tom Seaver, of course, has his number 41 retired. Everyone has Robinson's 42 and Piazza's 31 has the most recent one to be retired. That's, that's interesting. Huh. And I think they have a few lined up now. Um, 
let's see. I thought they were going to retire Carter's. Uh, they're retiring Kuzman's. Yeah, here's an article from the Post uh, in 2019. Kuzman's is going to get retired, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did Gary Carter's. That would make sense to me. And then, like, maybe Keith Hernandez or Gooden or Strawberry. They don't – because they don't have anybody retired from that crew, the 86 crew, which is crazy. That is crazy. And then David Wright, like 100%, they will – yeah, for sure. He was a Met lifer. He has all of the offensive records. Yeah. I don't know if it's all of them, but the most of them. I don't know if you mentioned Keith Hernandez would be another good one. Yeah. Like Keith, Doc, yeah. Strawberry, yeah. Carter. That's interesting. I, I guess I just didn't realize that the Mets were not one to do that. Yeah. I know there's some teams who are more want than others, like the Braves. The Braves tend to do it quite a bit, uh, I think, compared to other teams. Because um, I know, like, Chipper's number was retired the next year, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, he retired next year. They're like, yep, no one's wearing 10 anymore. Here's the ceremony. We're done. Right. So, yeah. Braves, That's easy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's one of those things where, I guess, some... Uh, some teams more and more uh, want to do than others. I guess I just kind of assumed that they would at least do the uh, the big ones. I, like, right? Yeah, the fact that Strawberry isn't is kind of weird to me. Yeah, and that before Piazza, the only other player was Seaver. That's what the fact that Piazza is is the second one is very strange like again mike piazza's yeah. fantastic he's a hall of famer great but like there are other very good mets huh right like it's that's just it, kind of it, confusing i wonder if everyone was so afraid because like siever was like this vaulted like level of player that the mets yeah. had I mean, like somebody has to be up to siever's level and like nobody ever was like doc wasn't Right. Strawberry wasn't like Keith like didn't play and he played on the Mets like really well, but not that like long in comparison to like other life time. Cause like Keith Hernandez is like just as good of a Cardinal as he was a Met. Like, yeah. Um, the Cardinals this past series when the Mets were there, they re- they put or they announced that Keith Hernandez is going to the St. Louis Cardinals hall of fame. That's cool. Um, so he's one of the few like, multi-team because the Mets have their own like Mets Hall of Fame and Hernandez is already in that so being on the Hall of Fame for two different individual teams is pretty neat I wonder how many players there are that are in multiple team Hall of Fames I might have to do some research on that yeah that's a that is a neat little uh kind of factoid there I'm trying I want to check and see how many the Braves have retired one two three four five six Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, counting Robinson. Okay. So a lot of the '90s guys: Glavin, um, Smoltz, Bobby Cox, Maddox. Maddox. The four of them are all retired, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course Hank Aaron for number forty-four, Eddie Matthews, uh, Phil Negro. Um, and Warren Spahn, Dale Murphy. Yep. 
Those, and, those all make sense. And the most recently, number 10, Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones. So, yeah, we've got 11 that we retired in Atlanta. So I have to imagine that the next one to be retired will be number five. I hope. For Atlanta? For Atlanta, yeah, with, with Freddie Freeman. Yeah. I really, really, really hope they don't bog, boggle or botch his extension. Please, please like, extend even if it, Freeman. Even if that doesn't happen, like, you can still have his number retired. Like, he's been so good for them. Oh, he's, he's been the face of the Braves during, like, since Chipper Jones retired. Yeah, for for some of the worst and the best years of the right. franchise. Yeah, that's so meaningful. Yeah, he's had 11 seasons in Atlanta at this point. So I would, oh, if the Braves don't re-sign Freeman or extend <laughs> him, I am going to be inconsolable. For... With all the money they're saving on Acuna and, and Albies, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might it's, to do that. So. It's a lot, so... <laughs> Yeah, on top of the the number of retirement stuff, um, the they're putting up a Seaver statue next season, or is it this season? They're putting up a Seaver statue outside of City soon. That's cool. Which That's is pretty neat. Deserved. Yeah. Let me see if I can find that here real quick. I think it was announced very shortly after Seaver passed away. Yeah, it should be this season, I believe, uh, in July. Nice. July twenty second. Yeah, yeah, very nice. That'll be great. Yeah, he was debatably the best Met of all time. Really, not even that debatable. Not debatably. No, he, easily. He just is the best Met of all time. Yeah. Now I gotta go look at his numbers. So many. Look at so many <laughs> greats tonight. Let's see. Yeah. Wow. Um. <laughs> back in. Through the, he played with New York through 67 through 76, and then one extra random season in 83. Um, in that time, his ERA was no higher in New York than 320. Best year of his career in 1971, he made 36 starts, or sorry, 35 starts. With 20 wins, uh, 286 and a third innings pitched, 289 strikeouts, a 176 ERA, and an 095 whip. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was ridiculous. The, um, which makes like DeGrom that, that it, you know, like you, there's so many comparisons to Seaver with DeGrom now that DeGrom has, actually surpassed Seaver for the all-time ERA record during their Mets tenure. Um, but DeGrom, you know, has ways to go to to lock that down permanently. But the fact that DeGrom somehow has surpassed Seaver in that. It's kind of crazy that Jacob DeGrom, his 2018 season is arguably better than Seaver's uh, – 71 season that I just mentioned because I mean again Seaver had uh, 
289 strikeouts, 176 ERA, and a 195 whip in 71. In 2018, DeGrom had 269 strikeouts, a 170 ERA, and a 091 whip. So very comparable. It's just Seaver pitched more more innings. More, like... Yeah, more innings. That was 35 starts with 286 innings. DeGrom was 32 starts with 217 innings. So... Yeah. Yeah, the... the it's inning, a lot more innings. Per inning, Degrom was better, but that's a lot more innings from Seaver. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Degrom is the best pitcher in baseball right now. So fun to watch, and it's been amazing to see him get better as he enters his 30s, and is now 33 years old and just easily throwing a hundred regularly. It's crazy to watch him just continually improve. And, again, as a Braves fan, frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about kind of your your career in fantasy baseball. So how many leagues do you play in? What's your favorite type, et cetera, et cetera? So I keep it very, very small. Um, I've been in one keeper league forever since like 08 i think wow um then i i joined it was it was a league with my older brother's friends they were they had like their own high school league and they had the opening because um a few players dropped out like my brother stopped being interested in baseball and they knew that i was really into baseball so they're like hey let's get jim in and his friend um his friend ryan and so they grabbed us and we joined and then we pulled in two more of our friends for the next year to start a keeper league. Um, and so we've been doing that same keeper league, same structure, you know, with some rule changes here and there. But the original keeper draft and teams have stayed true since then. Wow. Um, but, like, I don't know if anybody's actually kept one player through. And we've changed the number of people you can keep from year to year, depending on, like, how we've felt. Um but that's been like my mainstay and then i'll have like a few leagues here and there depending on the year this year i'm only doing the pl staff league as my second league so that's it (laughs) a little bit going on in your life it's reasonable that you might want to cut back a bit Um, but yeah i've only really played head-to-head um never done points i think i've done roto a couple times but yeah, I really like head to head because it's like the weekly battle. Exactly. And I like I, I get Roto and I get why it's probably like you know more skill based um, in terms of evaluating an entire season. Yeah, who is the best actual manager and stuff like that. But the head to head aspect of it just draws me in so much more. Like it, the interest level on a week to week and day to day basis keeps me more hooked with head-to-head agreed i played my first roto league last year our dynasty league uh, due to the 60 game season we decided to um we decided to play roto for uh the season instead of the head-to-head format for the 60 games and 
I had heard before that uh, playing in a roto league is basically like watching an Excel sheet fill itself out, and uh, it, it is. It's it's that's not good. It's not very <laughs> engaging. You just kind of set like, your lineups and watch. Don't you like play uh, out of the park? Like, isn't that what out of the park is? It's just glorified yeah. spreadsheets. Yeah. Well, <laughs> to be fair. Out of the park, I can I can play an entire year of baseball in one hour, sort of thing. Whereas with this, I'm I have to wait day to day. So sure, yeah, it's roto is not for me. We, <laughs> that league is now back to head to head categories as it always should have been. But uh, yeah, it's roto is just not my jam. Uh, now for your keeper league, uh, do you have any guys that you like? have held on to for a long time like were you the guy who lucked into getting mike trout super early or anything like that no um not so the guy that has mike trout like somehow got bets as well so that's great (laughs) but he hasn't won (laughs) which is awesome i don't know how that happened that's amazing um but who i got who are the guys that got crazy? I got Jose Bautista before he hit his 50 home run season. Um, I drafted Jose Ramirez in like the 16th round and I've kept him ever since. Um, I got Anthony Rendon after like his down year and I was like, why is he not kept? And I drafted him like the first round of the non keep, like after everybody kept and I was like, all right, he's on the team for the rest of the, for the rest of his career. <laughs> of time. Um, I had Bumgarner on his rookie season. I kept him for a very long time until you know he fell off a cliff recently. Yeah. Um, and my team name had always been uh, named for Bumgarner. My team name forever was Pain in the Bumgarner. <laughs> it was such a stupid name, but I had that name for so long. That's so um, good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and um, but now I I have like Bobichet and. Um, I, I think that's like, you know, the only other guys that are notable for getting them before they really broke out. But, um, I, my, the original keeper draft now, you know, everybody's drafting like Pujols for the first pick and Miggy and and like Prince Fielder might've been there, but I was like fourth or, or like fifth or sixth. And I was picking between two guys, two outfielders who were like really good and eight. And uh, the debate was between Grady Sizemore and Ryan Braun. Ryan Braun just had his rookie year. And I was like, all right, who am I going to pick here? Pick Grady Sizemore. Of course. <laughs> he gets injured like that season and never comes back. <sighs> and I could have had Braun for, you know, the next six, seven plus years of dominance. <laughs> In uh, 2016, uh, I did our dynasty draft. We do, we have a it's 20 teams, 35 man rosters, keep forever. So super deep rosters and uh, 20 teams. So it's pretty pretty thin at the bottom. With the with my first pick, I picked 20th overall, and with my first pick, I took uh, Will Myers who had just come off his uh, like real good, like almost 30-30 season. And I thought yeah. he was going to go 30-30 again or 40-40 or something like that. And he was like a big prospect too. Yep. He certainly was. I got Will Myers as my guy. Mm-hmm. 
He's no longer on my team. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, uh, I, at this point, we're, uh, just recently, I had, for the first time, completely turned over my roster from the draft. The last wow. holdout from the 2016 draft that was still on my roster was uh, Manuel Margot. Wow! And just recently traded him. Jeez. So in the fact that you he's like still on your roster, like he seemed like a very droppable player for in a in a, a twenty team league, thirty five man rosters. He's not droppable at all. I, I guess I, I'm not. I have zero experience with a deep league like that. It's a so. deep league, and then you you hang on to those guys and hope that someday somebody that plays every day. Yes, exactly. please. You hope that someday they they you know turn in their promise. Like I'm, I'm yeah, still he, rostering. He had a, Margot had like a little extra spice. What was it last year in the playoffs or something? Which is why I, I was know, able recently. to trade him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still rostering Jorge Mateo because uh, I really want him to be something, but uh, he now <laughs> plays for the Padres, so he is never going to get a chance to. <laughs> Uh, deep leagues are hard. Now, you've been with Pitchless for a while now, like 2017, 18? Yeah, I joined the after the season ended in 2018. That's what I thought, yeah. Um, have you done pretty much exclusively batter's box this whole time? Yeah, I... I did like a going deep on Max Kepler as my first article, and then I did like this weird, silly piece about Chris Davis trying to hit 247 again in the theme of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I and remember that one. It was very. Well, I, I loved about that. Justin's Justin's uh, graphic for it. It was really really good. Um, this is a very silly thing I wanted to write, That's and fantastic. then that season I did batter's box three times a week. <laughs> In 2019. Ooh, that's a lot. And Scott did four times a week. It was me and Scott. That was it. It was just Scott four times a week and me three times a week. Um, and uh, at the end of that season, I was like, nah, I, I want to do batter's box still, but no way. That's so No much. way I'm doing three times a week. And I also did Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I'm like, no way I'm doing weekends again. <laughs> so now I've last year and this year I've been doing like middle of the week once a week and it's perfect yeah that's that's much more manageable i do not know how nick writes an article (laughs) every single day i don't understand how he can manage that yeah but no three times a week sounds like a lot um so Usually I ask people, you know, what what stuff they've worked on that they've been particularly proud of or what kind of projects or things like that. Really, everyone knows the big deal for the Batters Box articles. It's all about the titles, man. <laughs> do you do you know yeah. off the top of your head some of your best titles? Um, so this year, because they're very recent, uh, I had Jed Lowry as my main uh main player that I wrote about and the, the title was the return of the Jed. Good. Good. Um, I was pretty proud of that. And then in the, in our discord chat, um, I think it was Kyle 
Horton was like, I'm going to write up Jed Lowry and I already have an article title return of the Jed. And I was like, dude, literally yesterday I wrote Badger's box with that title. And so he put out like a very generic title for his Jed Lowry piece, That's which I'm kind of like, I mean, I'm sorry I stole it. Cause you know, Badger's box titles are great and they're necessary, but like for the main going deep piece, I'd rather have it be le- the the better title than like Jed Lowry is good again. <laughs> That's so. hilarious. <laughs> I love it when like one of us accidentally steps on the toes of the other and it's just like, oh I do oh sorry, I didn't see you there. Yeah. That sort right. of thing. Because <laughs> we're all just so polite to each other and razz each other about that kind of stuff and it's like, oh well uh sorry Kyle, but uh, yeah. too late. <laughs> That's good. Now, what kind of stuff do you do, you know, outside of the baseball realm? What, you know, hobbies and things along those lines. Um, so hobbies have been few and far between recently because of having a baby. That tends to change a few of your uh, lifestyle choices. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of television and listening to podcasts. Um, so you know that's all standard stuff but you know i do play video games um read reading like random comics a lot recently and i had that D game um going on up until i had my baby um but you know, played some role-playing games here and there lots of random board games as well um and i haven't started running yet this year, but I usually run like last the last two years I had done a like half marathon training and then did my own half marathon. Not not a like sanctioned actual race, but like I trained up to run thirteen point one miles and then would try to like beat my record. Um last year I didn't break it. I got a really, really bad cramp or whatever happened and had to kind of stop but um the year before i i crushed my previous record and so i was really proud of that um and then also just like take care of my dog lots of walks and stuff so he's cool nice the lab pit mix oh i highly recommend getting a lab pit mix oh i love pit bulls my wife and i are looking at dogs and a a pit is near the top of our uh, yeah. list as far as our considerations highly recommend um we got him from a shelter at seven months um and he's just the best oh he's five years old now he's turning five in four days oh my oh. gosh happy, birthday pup happy birthday pup his oh and his name is important his name is wrigley wrigley yeah. Is, your, is your wife a Cubs fan? I know you said she's yeah. in the Midwest. She grew up in Chicago. So. Oh, yeah, that would do it. We, if we get a second dog, we it's a good chance the dog's going to be named Shay. That would be a great combo. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, now, I do have to ask, because there were some questions that were raised from your... Uh, your uh, other players in the Dungeons and Dragons game. Um, I do. If you would first off, just tell me about your character that you play. Okay. 
Yeah, so, well, to preface before that, this was a game with a handful of other PL people. So um, Ben Brown, Jordan White, Chris Weber, um, and uh, my character is named Dean Hillcastle. He was a human cleric, old 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 man, aging, um, not quite done yet with his... <laughs> with his adventuring, but he had, uh, recently left a longstanding, like, um, temple that he was with and, and kind of found a new God to, to, to worship and, um, kind of had to go off on his own because of that. So that's how he found the adventuring party that he was with. Um, but the first adventure on the adventuring party, this is where one of the main criticisms of, Dean, I guess criticisms, but jokes with Dean is that he 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 saw a dead horse and tried to look at it, and I had a critical failure, and so <laughs> I determined not that the horse was dead or alive, but I wasn't sure if it was a horse. <laughs> so <laughs> everybody continues to hound me about, um, you know, what I know about horse anatomy, and. Um, I've received, I've received manuals from players, uh, about horses. Um, I've gone myself, tried to work with stable hands and stuff like that to understand and get to know horses more, but that's hilarious. Yeah. I love those. That's never, he's never going to live it down. Oh no, absolutely not. I love those like early campaign stuff where everyone's like level two and one person just really messes something up and it's a it's a meme for the rest of the game yeah right it's every every instance that they we come across any dead thing or just a horse in general it's it's you know a good time for everybody that's fantastic yeah jordan white had asked if uh, he had found a greater uh, grasp of horse anatomy so that explains that question uh but then ben brown wanted to know if uh dean feels bad about abandoning the party to you know build the church um so you know this church that we had to deal with had a horde of ghouls and and underneath it in the basement and through battling them just absolutely destroyed this place so uh, I felt an obligation to go back and kind of rebuild it and establish a new church there in this small town that we were trying to save. So not at all. I don't feel bad at all. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a really good, like, if you got to have a good, like, ending for a older cleric character. I think that's really good. Just go back yeah. to a small town, rebuild this church, have a nice quiet retirement. Exactly. I love that. That's awesome. I was just thinking today that I wanted to play, uh, I think my next character I might do, I want to play a uh, an older uh, wizard who for like most of his life was just kind of a scribe at the... At, at a wizard's college and kind of had a midlife crisis and was like, I want to learn magic myself. Darn it. Yeah. And that's such a weird thing to like in, incorporate as like a level. Like you want, 
because like as an older you have to find that balance of storytelling with like being somebody that's like 55 or 60 with like why don't they why are they level one yeah like it's hard to you because you can't have like a fully experienced you know i've been through many battles and like live to tell the tale and i'm a level one fighter like <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so it's when when you start a campaign at one it def- definitely limits you as far as some uh role play uh you know backstory stuff yeah. that's why i typically like to start around like level three if possible okay. it gives it a little Makes more sense. a little more open-endedness to it yeah Good stuff, good stuff. Well, yeah, there's your D&D talk for the for the uh, episode there. We just needed to, you know, get that out of the way. But what we really <laughs> wanted to talk about, as far as, you know, baseball stuff, uh, you had mentioned interest in discussing some of the recent rule changes that we've seen in the game and some that we might potentially see in the future, which I thought was a real fun topic. So let's go ahead and get on into it. Now, I think the most uh, prevalent one we've seen thus far have been the extra inning rules, um, where the runner is on second base um, to start the extra innings. But of course, you also have the you know seven inning double headers, things like that. So uh, let's go ahead and start off. Uh, runner on second. How do you feel about it? I like it in in certain ways um like last year i thought it was fine just to like you know as a part of the pandemic to get games wrapped up earlier um and so far this year i i'm kind of over it i'm like you know i feel like baseball is back to its normal state in a lot of ways and i don't see why they need to keep it around um, but if, uh, if like the run scoring environment is going to be rougher and there's going to be a lot more strikeouts too, like having somebody on second just to like finish the game up, it seems okay to me, but I, I'm not like, yeah, I, I don't think I'm like super against it, but I also don't love it. Yeah. Um, it has its pros and cons. I'd rather not have it. But I see the appeal in certain ways. I agree. Um, for the most part, I'm not a fan, I think. My dad and I were talking about it the other day, and he suggested something that I thought would work quite well. Um, he suggested that we take the, the runner on second and start using that in the 13th inning. If you mm-hmm. make it to the 13th inning, each inning, each half inning starts with a runner on second. So we play 12 innings of regular baseball. And if we're not done by then, if we haven't figured out who won by then, then you can add the runner on second. Yeah. I I like that. Um, it's one of those rules where if this was the rule from the beginning, would people be upset about it? I don't. No, I don't think so. I don't. I think if this was a rule from the beginning, I think it just you know, people would just be like, oh yeah, well, extra innings. Obviously, it's a different game, totally entirely. But I feel like 
baseball has got such a reputation of, you know, it's the one sport where there's not a clock. Um, right. Yeah. It could go on forever if it needed yeah. to. And, and I think that's cool. There's, yeah, there's, there's sort of like traditionalist romantic, uh, ideal to that. Like that one 31 inning game or something that the Rangers played a decade ago or something like that. That was right. Hilarious. So, I think, like I said, I, I I kind of agree with my dad as for the most part. Um, it has a place, I think, but I don't think its place is in the tenth inning. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely understood why they brought it into the game, especially during the sixty-game pandemic-shortened season. Right. Um, like. They were doing a lot more, you know, strictly controlling where players and uh, staff and coaches were um, and wanted to, you know, have things on a tighter schedule. That makes a lot of sense. And I I don't know. This isn't – it's not really helping pace of play, honestly. A shorter game is not a pace of play thing because you're not speeding up the actual – you know, innings themselves, you're just ending sooner. Right. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's, I, I think it's problematic in its current state, but I yeah. think there's definitely a potential for it to actually be fine. Do you think that baseball games need to go on indefinitely during the regular season? If a team does not score? Like, are you okay with ties? Ooh, uh, ooh. I guess there's two questions. Are you okay with ties? And the second question is, you know, the, there's the league. Is it the Pacific Coast League? Or there's some other league that's implementing home run derby. Right. I heard as, about that. Instead of extra innings. I heard about that. Um, like, for... For hockey, there's the structure of during the regular season, you have a five-minute reduced team or uh, a reduced size of players on the ice, uh, sudden death play, and somebody scores, they win. But then if that finishes, you have a shootout. Right. But then during the playoffs, you just play 20-period hockey indefinitely until somebody scores hmm. so there's a big difference between regular season overtime hockey and uh playoff, playoff overtime hockey yeah. so like regular season for baseball is it worthwhile to be implementing these rules to close out these games um and not have it go on indefinitely but then just have the standard just keep on playing baseball during the playoffs yeah, I – so I'm pretty unfamiliar with sports that are not baseball. I actually did not know that's how uh, that's how it worked in hockey. Okay. Um, but I could see using this system in the regular season and switching to just standard baseball through whatever inning you had to play to during the postseason – because I think postseason should be as true to 
the regular rules as possible. Yeah. Um, as far as the home run derby goes, it's it's a spectacle. I think it's fine for um, for minor leagues. I think it's fun. And I think that's what the minor leagues should be, for, especially on the fan experience. It should be fun. Um, I'd be interested to see how players feel about it. Like players in, I looked it up. It's a pioneer league. I'd be interested to pioneer hear. League. Okay. I'd be interested to hear what players feel about the that decision. So, because I don't know, it takes away some reps for them, and it's a rule that. Uh, Probably won't extend to the major league uh, to major league baseball at any time. I doubt it. That doesn't seem like something MLB will actually implement. No. So no. again, for, on the, as a fan, yeah, that sounds good. I like that. As a uh, on the behalf of like the actual players and stuff, I don't know. Yeah, I. They can't do a home run derby in no. the majors. That would be crazy. No. You can't take the institution of baseball and have it be a home run derby. I want you all to know that Jim is holding his, I think, sleeping daughter right now. Yeah, yeah, she's asleep. Um, and... But she just, like, she just like twitched really heavily and like yeah. almost flew off of my shoulder. She like tried to jump off his shoulder and he had to, like quickly readjust to catch her the the dad reactions are on point so she's well like done. completely asleep though what's going on girl <laughs> she's doing great <laughs> now how do you feel about the seven inning double headers and uh on that note should uh bumgarner's no hitter go in the record books i I don't know why they are doing seven inning doubleheaders this year. Neither I, do it, I. It doesn't make any sense to me. It uh, seems why? Very why? dumb. Like, it, and then I just learned today that like they cost the same as regular games. There's no. What price are we change. gaining? You're taking away baseball from people who want <laughs> to play baseball and people who want to see baseball. Yeah, because like it what made sense last doing? year. Made sense last year, like in some ways. Yeah, and then like there's no cost to the fans to, but like, uh, it's understand. weird. But and... to go to Bumgarner, um, it's it's a seven inning no hitter. It's not a no hitter. It's a different classification. I think there should be if somebody throws a seven inning no hitter, they get a they they got a seven inning no hitter. Yeah. But like, if you throw a seven, if you throw seven innings of no hit baseball and then get taken out of the game during a nine inning game, it's not a seven inning no hitter. No, you didn't. You didn't throw a no hitter. But Bumgarner started a game, and by the time he, by the time the game was over, he was still the one pitching, and he had not given up any hits. Yeah. To me, that is a no hitter. He should absolutely go in the record books with an asterisk. Yeah. Because he threw a no-hitter. He played the entire regulation game. If they're saying seven innings is enough to count in the regular season as a regulation game, mm-hmm. then why doesn't it count for records? If, yeah. If, he threw... He didn't allow a hit during the whole entire game. Yep. And if if some 
if during a seven inning game some batter came out and hit four home runs um then that would still count as a four homer game to, for the record books <laughs> Well, it's like a little different because that's better than it. It's, it's like if you hit four home runs in a seven inning game, that's fair. better than hitting four home runs in a nine inning game. I mean, fair, but I, I it's just I, it seems silly that record that apparently he's not going to go in like the official MLB record book. Like, you just need another category. Just make another category. Call it seven inning no hitters. Because those seven-inning games are a new thing. Like, they yeah, just have to have, have new... You'll have one of them. It'll be Madison Bumgarner. And hopefully we don't have seven-inning games next year. Because that's yeah. it's silly. I don't understand why we still have them. Again, it made sense in the COVID season. Was there a push from the players or the coaches or anything like that to have this again? Like Good question. I have no idea. <laughs> like, you would think you on a... From for the owner's perspective, you would want to keep the fans there for an extra two innings to, you know, yeah. buy more things. I don't understand why this decision was made. <laughs> I just I just don't know. Um now at the very bottom of the of this uh, Sports Illustrated article I found on the Pioneer League, uh and their home run derby rules the uh, Atlantic League is going to be using a new rule as well this year they are moving the mound back one foot 61 feet 6 inches um, in the Atlantic League this year how do you feel about moving the mound in MLB Uh, I like it I think something needs to be done Uh, it strikeouts i don't that's the thing we need to figure out if moving the mound back does reduce strikeouts uh before fully implementing it but something needs to be done with what's going on with pitchers and their ridiculous strikeout rates uh, you know the grom's strikeout rate is like 15 is 15 k's per 9 I don't know what his K percentage is. Let me double check. It's forty-eight percent. He's a starter. What's Holy going on? Crap. To be so, fair, he's the best starter. I know it's Degrom, but like to be fair, but Seaver in seven in the seventies, his K per nine was below nine, and he yeah. was like one of the best. So I, I just I, something needs to happen, and I feel like moving the bound back it makes the most sense. Um, I listened to, uh, the effectively wild podcast and one of the things that Ben Lindbergh continues to bring up in regards to when they lowered the mound, um, back in the sixties was that there were a lot of other confounding factors, uh, in terms of the transition from what happened with hitters between those two seasons uh, that it might not necessarily have strictly been lowering the mound that resulted in um, hitters improving. So moving the mound back instead of lowering the mound more seems to make more sense right now, at least to me. Yeah. Back in the sixties, I found an article here 
from uh, Cut 4 that talked about um, why they moved the mound after the 68 season. Um, in 1968, Bob Gibson had a 112 ERA. That's pretty good. Seven starters had an ERA under two. Seven. Yeah, that's, that's very so good. many. Carl Yastrzemski that year won the batting title with a 301 average, which is not amazing. It's a good average, but it's not yeah. fantastic. And then the whole, th- the maybe the biggest reason, seven teams hit uh, for a team batting average lower than 230. The Yankees in 1968 hit 214, and Mickey Mantle, as a 36-year-old first baseman, led the team with a 237 batting average. Yeah. Like, that's kind of like, and that's what we're seeing this year so far. That Those kinds of offensive numbers. Lots of teams are batting as a team in the 230 area. There's a reason we've now had four no-hitters already. Right. Like, there's there's an unbalance, once again, in between pitching and hitting. And I, I don't know if it's um, sticky stuff. I don't know if it's uh, athletes continuing to get better as they get uh, new training methods. I don't know if it's access to driveline and other kinds of... Um, statistical data that's helping them to improve but it's there the scales are no longer balanced in baseball and they haven't been for a bit it's i i completely agree and on top of it one of the things that has been going on for the past few years is the juiced ball uh and this year so far it seems like it's been de-juiced in some ways uh, and that could also be contributing to uh, to that difference too, um, and that spike in pitcher success, at least for the lack of hits, because a lot of those, not a lot, but like some of those hits that would have been either home runs or hits in general are now flyouts or something yeah. along those lines. So. Uh, if, if they're going to be changing up the ball again, who knows if they, the league or whoever produces the ball has enough, you know, power or know-how to, to greatly affect that. But if they are going to be tinkering with it, they have to be aware of all the ramifications. And, <laughs> you know, talking about the juice ball and trying to unjuice it results in, well, now teams are hitting 220. Something else needs to happen, and it's a domino effect. Yeah. So I've pulled up here. um, League-wide hitting stats from 2011 to 2021. Um, And over the years, the batting average has slowly dropped. uh, From It sat right around 255 league-wide up until around 2017. And since then it has dropped uh, 
pretty steadily last year in a shortened season, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 245. This year, so far, the league is hitting 233. Yuck. And it's interesting, if you look at the slugging, you can see the juiced ball in there. Because even though the batting average was staying relatively the same, the slugging went from about like 390-ish and spiked in 2016 to, to 417. 2017 was 426. Then it went down to 409. And then in 2019 was 435. Again, the batting average was right around 250 for all of those years. You can see the juiced ball. Yeah. It's right there. K percentage as we look at 2011 to 2021. In 2011, the league-wide K percentage was 18.6. It has uh, not had a single season since then that it went down, not once. It wow. has increased every year by at least a little bit. Uh, again, 18.6 in 2011. By 2016, we were at 21.1. He, now, in the first month of the year, we are looking at 24.3. We've gone up about 6% in the last 10 years while everything else has remained relatively similar as far as like BABIP has been almost totally static uh, in the last 10 years, almost completely static. That's BABIP pretty remarkable. I, I always hear that about like shifting. Cause like shifting has gotten so much, po- so much more popular during that 10 year span. And like you'd expect shifting to have somewhat of a, in an impact on BABIP, but it, it, a lot of the research that I have been aware of just seems to show that it doesn't. It just kind of doesn't. I mean, in 2011, it was a 295 BABIP. Uh, it, in the last uh, 10 years, it has never been higher than 300, and it has never been lower than 295. Wow. This just year, like so always f- right there. Yeah. In the 295 to 300 range? We go 295, 97, 97, 99, 99, 300, 300, 96, 98, 92. That is the last 10 Weird. years of BABIP. It's been totally static, despite the changes in slugging and average. So far this year, it is a 284 BABIP. BABIP is down this year, which makes me think that average might correct itself a little bit. But mm. who's to say? I don't know if that's actually how BABIP works on a league-wide scale. Right. Uh, if we look at walks, they've been actually relatively static, especially compared to K percentage. Uh, in 2011, it was an 8.1% walk rate. It actually went down a little bit. down to It got down to 7.7 7 in 2015. Very similar number, only 0.4% difference. Um, and then it went back up a bit in 2019. It was up to 8.5, which is exactly where it was at in uh, 18 and 17 as well. Last year in a shortened season, it was 9.2, and now we're at 8.9. So it's been a little elevated the last couple seasons, but not drastically, not mm-hmm. six points like K percentage has been. Right. Well, so I, I live 
relatively close to where the Long Island Ducks play. They're one of the Atlantic teams, Atlantic League teams. But um, the moving the mound back isn't going to be implemented until halfway through the season, I believe. And I think I'm going to be already in Michigan by then. So it's a bummer that I'm not going to be able to see that in action. That would have been yeah. cool. I gotta check and see who are all the Atlantic League teams. We got Lancaster, Long Island, Southern Maryland, York, Pennsylvania, Gastonia, North Carolina, High Point, North Carolina. Great, I can go see them. Um, Lexington, Kentucky, and Charleston, West Virginia. Okay, great. I have two. I can go see the High Point Rockers easily. They are half nice. an hour away from me. Sweet. Might have to do a little bit of a. Uh, you know, research, of course. I'll uh, make sure to get to uh, send in an expensive port to Nick yeah. as I do some research for the site. <laughs> but Gastonia is not far either. They're doing they they have the automated strike zone uh, via TrackMan that they're doing. They've been doing that for the last few seasons. Seasons, I think. Interesting. Interesting. And then they're also implementing the modified DH rule, which is. I think my understanding of that rule is that it is attached to the pitcher. So if the pitcher is removed from the game, then they lose the DH. Yes. Under this rule, once a team removes its starting pitcher, it loses the right to use a designated hitter for the rest of the game. That's unique. I think I like it. Yeah. I don't know. I have... Like my, I I don't know what I think about the DH in general, but oh, I I as a National League truther, I am ready for the DH in uh, in all of baseball. It's one of those things where it's like I'll it doesn't matter, whatever, whatever I they set want, it to, uh, whatever. I just want all the teams to play by the same rules. So. That's such an anti-baseball thing to say. <laughs> That's I mean, the thing about yeah, baseball. The, baseball the is like everything's sport, different. Like this the only team, sport where every every you know stadium has different uh, dimensions. Yeah. I want the polo grounds back. Oh, two hundred yes, two hundred down the line, four fifty dead center, whatever it was. was. Five hundred dead center. Mm. I think it was five hundred. <laughs> Honestly, that'd be fun. Um, no, I'm definitely gonna have to go see a. Rockers game. I gotta figure out where Gastonia, North Carolina, is, because I work in High Point, so <laughs> oh, I'm really? definitely seeing some uh, nice some Rockers. Sure, games. I got I got my uh, Ducks hat. Ooh, that's a nice hat. Isn't that cool? That's a sick logo, actually. Yeah. And implementing the D into the bill is really yeah, nice. It's done. very cool. So yeah, uh, I think bringing it back to moving the mound. Right. Which is how we got off that on that tangent. <sighs> Something needs to be done. I I'm not smart enough to know if moving the mound back will f will fix strikeouts. Using just what I know about baseball, I imagine giving hitters an extra millisecond to register what pitch is coming at them will mm -hmm. help. Yeah, I mm, I believe like perceived velocity. If they do a foot, is takes takes pitches like down three miles per hour. 
Wow. Or something like that. I That's off the top of my head trying to remember something that I recently read. So don't take it as, you know, fact. But it's enough to be like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is back to like before things got crazy over the past 10 years. Yeah. So. Yeah. Agreed. But, yeah, I don't see it impacting pitchers being able to like hit the zone or being able to command their breaking or off-speed pitches that drastically though um i know that seems like a a common concern um but a foot is very small yeah i don't think i mean i think it's just guys are professionals i think they can figure it out um so I'm trying to think, can you think of any other rule changes that you'd like to see, you know, toyed around with or potentially implemented? Yeah. It, one, one thing that is you know very topical from yesterday is the John means no hitter. Oh, with the, with the drop third strike. Is that yes. what you're getting at? So okay. is, <laughs> should that have been a no hitter is a big question. Um, because of the drop third strike rule so is it just like a worthless rule now like does that rule need to be a thing anymore and like yeah it it comes up now because it's like well we kind of took away a perfect game from john means um and if that rule wasn't a rule that would have been a perfect game. And there, this literally was the only no-hitter that that could have affected. Like, there's never been another no-hitter that the only thing that happened was a drop third strike. Yeah, I don't think I knew that that would uh, disqualify a pitcher from a perfect game. I Before before yesterday, like, if you had asked me, if a batter reaches due to a drop third strike, does that count as a perfect game? I, I would have had to think about it because I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Right. And like I in general, just trying to think about the rule, like there are the my understanding is that the argument for the rule is uh, that the defense defense needs to make a play to make an out. Does that make sense to you as a reason why this rule exists? I think that is a defensible argument. Um Right. On a drop third strike, the ball is is technically in play. Um, I mean, the ball is in play if you have runners on and you have a pass ball or a wild pitch. Sure. Um, drop third strike is kind of a weaker version of that. Yeah. Like, why would it affect the batter, though? Like, what... Like when, right. so it's like it's one of those things where well, this is an extreme on the other end. Let me present it to you. Okay. If the drop third strike is a thing, why not just let the batter have the opportunity to steal first base whenever he wants? I kind of want a minor league season where that happens. That sounds like some little league stuff that would just be 
hilarious to watch younger kids do. Um, yeah, no, I, I see, I see kind of the, the train of thought you're on though. Like the value in doing it makes no sense unless it's an extreme circumstance. It's much better to take your hacks. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, no, I, I don't know what the drop third strike offers to baseball that I don't know. Yeah. And then there's the exception to the rule of, well, the defense needs to make a play where the literal infield fly rule is explicitly to let the infield not make a play. (laughs) You get an Um, out by, by explicitly not making a play. Jim, uh, I'm a, I'm a Braves fan. You can't mention the infield fly rule. That's, that's not okay. It's it's too soon. It was 2012. It's never not going to be too soon. 2012. It's still too soon. But like, there's always weird exceptions. And I feel like the drop third strike, going back to my other comment about rules existing before... And like, if the game was invented now, would you implement that rule? Yeah. If you if if the game was was built without that rule, and that was a rule, and, a rule was, that somebody proposed, <laughs> somebody proposed, I think everyone would say, "Why? Right? Why do you want to do that?" I think the rule that made more like. And that's why why I brought up the uh, stealing first base thing, because I think that that makes more sense. Yeah, and I think that makes more sense like, than drop third strike. That the the batter can at any opportunity at, at any point steal first base. Yeah, and make, I feel like make makes more sense ball, as a general rule than that would make a pass ball a way way worse. Yeah, it's silly. It I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Baseball is silly. Baseball it's is a, silly. It's a game for children that we all love watching, like, superhuman adults play. Yeah. That's why sports <laughs> are awesome. Sports are awesome because, again, that's all they are. It's where you're watching superhuman adults play games for children. It's great. <laughs> yeah, the Olympics are coming up this summer, and I'm very excited. I love the Olympics. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, this is the first time I have ever heard of anyone being upset that the drop third strike rule exists. Like, and it's a, it's a very reasonable thing. Like, uh, to, for a, for a pitcher to lose a perfect game on that rule, that is, it's, it's reasonable to consider, is this valid? But, mm-hmm. On the other end, when is another scenario when it's going to feel uh, necessary to criticize the drop third strike rule? It's just one of those weird baseball rules that exists. No one's sure why it exists, but it does. Yeah, it's just exactly that. It's just this weird rule. Like, this is a weird rule. (laughs) Yep. Do we need it? Probably not. Is it there? Uh-huh. 
<laughs> would I be upset if next season they said the drop third strike rule is gone and we're not doing it anymore? Would I be upset? No. Would I be happy about it? No. Yeah. Like, I would have almost no opinion if they got rid of the drop third strike rule. I think hmm, that's probably a little bit of an overreaction, but uh, I mean, it wasn't really adding adding anything to the game, so sure, sure. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, it's the only other big thing, and we kind of hit on already, is Universal DH, which I really, like I said, it might be the fact that my team currently has a DH playing left field, but uh, I definitely am in support of the Universal DH at this point. I, yeah, as I said earlier, I think it's just, if they change it, I'll be like, sure. Whatever. Like, I'm not... One of those NL, NL fans fingers. that like are holding on desperately to the no DH. I think it's cool that the NL and the AL have like slightly different rules. I just think that's interesting and cool. Um, and that's probably why I prefer it versus the universal DH. But I wouldn't care at all. If they yeah. implemented the DH and after a year or two of it, I'd be like, yeah, it was better. Yeah. That's like, if you had asked me five years ago, I'd have said, no, right. The DH, the no DH in national league is sacred. And I, I, there's more strategy and stuff like that. I, I don't <laughs> know. And now I just, I, I, I don't like seeing pitchers get hurt running bases and stuff like that. So yeah. Or the the <laughs> when the uh, White Sox were playing an NL team in, uh, in the NL. I don't know what team they were playing, but Tony Larusa forgot the rule where the batter um, for the second inning or the sec- the runner on second rule where the the previous oh, yeah. batter is if, the yeah if it's in the National League, second, but if in the it's National the pitcher, League if you have yeah. yeah, but if it's the pitcher, you can put the runner or you can put the batter before the the pitcher. The eighth place hitter, yeah. Or whoever it was. So they did a double switch, so it would have been Jose Abreu, but Jimmy sure. Russa did not know. And so Liam Hendricks was the runner on second. I mean, if I'm picking between Abreu and Hendricks as a runner... I might still pick Hendricks. <laughs> but like just this just first of all, has Liam Hendricks ever run the bases before? No. That's a great question. So there's That's a great question. <laughs> and then the opportunity like Abreu does this every single day and if Hendricks hurts himself, then that's like a nightmare. Yeah. Like hey, Abreu, you're not worried about him hurting himself in the base pass. Yeah, but regardless of getting hurt or not, like, I don't know. Watching the pitcher hit is just stupid. Yeah, I I, it like it's fun when like DeGrom gets a single and that's a hit in the game that the Mets get when DeGrom pitches. But it's just it's funny. (laughs) Hiscari Noah hit a grand slam. That was awesome. That was big fan. That was super cool. That's his second home run of the year. And. That was great. Yeah. And like Syndergaard, two, Syndergaard hit two home runs in a game once. Like stuff like that is just like really cool. 
Yeah. But like, would I be upset if that was no longer an option? No. Yeah. Could we, if we take away the, the, if we take away pitchers hitting, would I like to see a miniature home run derby made up of pitchers? Yes. I think that'd be hilarious. Yeah. Like Degrom versus Greinke versus Bumgarner, and you Noah, and Noah, <laughs> and Otani. <laughs> oh my! God. I don't think Otani counts. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that's. I think that'd be fun. Have I, I? I've said for a while I would like for them to add a couple more uh, events during All Star Weekend. Yeah. Like, I want a fifty meter sprint. I want a. I want fast people to run. I want somebody to try to hit a trash can at home plate from center field. Yeah, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, show off the best skills in baseball, not just power, but some of the best skills. Yeah, like. And I know I understand that they're worried about players hurting themselves Injuries, or something like that. Yeah. But I feel like if you present it to the players as this is just a fun thing, please don't hurt yourself. I feel like I don't know. Imagining Billy Hamilton and D Gordon running just sounds very fun to me. Definitely, because D Gordon is one of the most fun players in baseball. Oh yeah. Alrighty, well. A large portion of our podcast is devoted to answering your guys' questions on the air. So, if you have questions for me and my guests of the week, you can tweet them to me directly at Brastowski or on the show Twitter there at OnTheListPL. Or even easier, you can join our PL Plus Discord server where we'd be happy to grade your trades, offer analysis on anything you've been wondering about, or answer any other number of inquiries. I almost uh, was able to get through that whole read without tripping up on my words, but of <laughs> course not. Now, uh, Jim, what is your favorite part about the PL Plus Discord server? Oh my gosh. Um... There's so much. It's <laughs> it's so it's good. good like everything about it is so good. It's a good time. <laughs> he was not prepped for that question. That wasn't in the notes. Trivia. <laughs> the trivia channel. It's uh, I the the Tuesday night trivias? No, the trivia channel, the baseball trivia channel. Oh, yes, the baseball trivia channel is also very fun. Where The Tuesday night trivias is good. I joined that. I've, Usually. I've never gotten to do one. Oh, I, you got to join. There's so much fun. See, the issue is uh, for the my master's program that I'm doing right now, um, for whatever reason, the academic week starts on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And so homework is due Tuesday nights. Yep. And I am a typical college student that doesn't do it until it's due. Yep. Due today. Due today. Um. Yeah. So yeah. I'm usually busy Tuesday nights finishing a paper or something like that. And so luckily I will be done in six weeks. Woo! And then I'll have a master's degree. Everybody. Nice. That it's was crazy. like, that went by so fast. I remember you like getting into the program. Like it, it's, it's a, like a, the program is about two years. So wow. yeah. Uh, year and a half, two years, something like that. It's, Jeez. it's a pretty accelerated program through uh, Purdue. So, nice. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. But we have questions from my guest here. My good friend Dave Sherman wants to know, Jim, what is the best pizza on Long Island? 
So I, I have a very like you know small selection of pizza places that I go to. Um, just the the local places right around where I live. So I the I can't answer the the full answer of every single pizza place. Have I tried it all? Of course not. But I have fallen in love with this place called Bella Cucina. Um, and they have like 18 inch pies, lots of cheese, a nice fluffy crust, just like classic Italian uh, restaurant pizza. And it's just like really, really, really good. So I'm going to say Bella Cucina. It's great. You know, I hadn't thought about it until just now, but uh, your wife's from Chicago. You're from the New York area. Yeah. Do you guys disagree on pizza preferences? Not at all. I'm a pizza fan of every pizza. I love deep dish pizza. It's so good. I don't know what people like. That argument is like, is deep dish pizza pizza? Yes. Like, that's that's such a silly argument. It's is it regardless of if it's pizza or not? I don't care. Is it ridiculously good? 100%. Yeah. I don't like deep dish pizza. You're crazy. Mostly because I don't like stringy cheese. What? (laughs) It's a texture thing. Stringy cheese is... I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. Oh my Um, gosh. That makes no sense. That's what makes cheese really good. Oh no, it's a texture thing. I don't like it. It, You can't... Can you not have like mozzarella sticks? I have to be very careful with mozzarella sticks. You got to like, like fully bite off the, the entire stick and then chew it very carefully. I love the taste of mozzarella sticks, but I, I had to be very careful with the texture. No, I, I understand the texture thing. Cause like I have, I have a friend who is like a lot of issues with texture and food and I lived with him for a few years. Um, so like, I, I understand like that there are a lot of mushrooms or avocados. Oh, he or can't, like that. can't do mushrooms. He can't do eggs, just eggs in Ooh, general, eggs. just like really throw them off. Um, and it's not like an allergy thing or anything like that. No, it's just a tech. I, yeah. I am very much a food texture person. Like mm-hmm. my mushrooms are way too slimy. No, I can't it's, do mushrooms either. They're slimy and chewy. That's not okay. Right. Um, calamari. You ever done calamari? Oh, I love calamari interesting because yeah. calamari is very chewy and it i is. don't like no, it no no no. but it's not like <laughs> the the mushroom thing is the sliminess like i can't do that i don't think because cal- calamari i get like fried calamari right that's fair i guess yeah but like yeah i don't do avocado i also just don't like the mm-hmm. taste of avocado or like guac you're missing out guac's so good I, I just don't like the taste very much so you're getting back yeah. guac then yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I guess people have different. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not like a super picky eater. I just have certain things that I don't eat, and it's really unfortunate because my wife Elizabeth loves mushrooms, loves avocado, um, big fan of cheese. Like, yeah. So she can't. She doesn't make a lot of those kinds of dishes. So when we go out, she'll get avocado on everything. And yeah, if I get a salad that has avocado on, I'll just pick it off and put it on hers. Mm-hmm. It's it works out, but it does frustrate her on the limitations that she has on yeah. some dishes she makes at home. 
Yeah. But that, remi- uh, that reminded me of, I don't know what triggered this in my brain, but that reminded me of one of my, I don't say controversial pizza opinions, but Ooh. Um, I, I get made fun of for this from a lot of my friends, but I am a big fan of broccoli pizza. Just like you, that's the only topping broccoli. It's so good. Cause like when you make broccoli, you want to like make roasted broccoli or whatever, putting like cheddar cheese on it and like getting the cheddar cheese all melty or whatever, any kind of cheese doesn't make cheddar. Cheddar is really good though. That is just like a standard side dish of just like cheese on broccoli or you add broccoli to your mac and cheese or whatever you do. Cheese and broccoli go together. So putting broccoli on your cheese pizza is very good. There you go. Controversial pizza. I have never heard of broccoli on pizza. However, your defense makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would mm-hmm. be willing to try it. Do it. Yeah. I like broccoli. And then you can trick yourself into thinking it's more healthy than it actually is. It's not healthy. But broccoli's well, there, so there you go. <laughs> While we're on controversial pizza takes, uh, pineapple, yay or nay? Oh, 100%. It's very good. Wine yeah. pizza is so good. Yeah. Uh, my group of friends, uh, we recently realized that uh, half of us love pineapple pizza and the other half to test it. Mm-hmm. So whenever we get together to play D&D, uh, we get one pineapple pizza and one without. Nice. It's great. The Okay, so do you get like a standard Hawaiian when you do that? I am not a big fan of ham in general. Okay. And so you, what I prefer is either pineapple and pepperoni mm-hmm. or what's what's the best is pineapple and regular bacon yes so to take that up another level a lot of places on long island do this it's pineapple bacon and jalapenos i that's my favorite that sounds good except for the jalapenos because i don't like spicy oh no (laughs) see i'm sounding more and more picky but you're just just hitting all of my little buttons of like Yeah, I don't really do like especially jalapenos. Like that's there's certain heat that I like. Yeah. Like a lot of heat from Asian dishes um is a, like a back of the throat sort of heat that I'll enjoy. Jalapeno and other peppers is much more like on the tongue, front of the mouth thing and it it's just painful and I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's I don't do a lot of spicy foods like buffalo Buffalo sauce, mm-hmm. horrible. Oh man, I love I, buffalo. I I do not ever get buffalo sauce in my wings. Yeah, my wife's so. not a buffalo fan either. So whenever I'm like, I want to make sure when we order out somewhere that I'm like, I want to make sure that I have full access to my meal because she loves to steal. Of course, I'll do the buffalo. So like, there you oh, go. Oh, sandwich. Buffalo wings, buffalo quesadilla, like buffalo chicken, whatever. Just like trick her to make sure that I actually get my whole meal. <laughs> That's buffalo. awesome. That's marriage, folks. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, David Finko wants to know, are you ready for baseball at Comerica Park? Oh, yeah. I Have you ever been, been to Comerica? Yet. So I'm very excited. Um, it's like... 
hopefully I'm going to be able to get to enough games. My understanding is getting in. So we're not going to be like living downtown or anything. We're going to be like 20 minutes out. Um, but the drive in is really easy. Uh, it's Detroit. So like everybody drives everywhere. Yeah, so I'm there's parking, parking everywhere easy. downtown. Easy. Tickets are going to be cheap. Going to be able to yep. watch like Scooble and Mize and Manning soon. And you know, that'll be fun. So I'm going to, you know, once Elizabeth's old enough to check out baseball, take her to a few games, it'll be good. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited for it. I uh, add it to the list of stadiums uh, that I have been to. I've been to a whole bunch. So, yeah, checking another box off. I've been trying to. My goal is to get to everyone before I die, but I, uh, uh, Detroit is one that I haven't hit. And it's one of those weird ones where, you know, you hear about like the really good stadiums like PNC, mm-hmm. um, Dodger stadium, stuff like that. You hear about the really good ones. Of course you hear about the historic ones as well, Wrigley and Fenway. And the, and then there's the bad ones like, uh, Tropicana <laughs> and, uh, the Oakland Coliseum. Yeah. America is just one that I hear nothing about. It's just, it must be just a middle of the road. It's pretty good. There's baseball there. <laughs> there, There is professional baseball played in downtown Detroit. And it is in a venue that is perfectly applicable for professional baseball to be played. Right. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about it either. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it and seeing what's going yeah. on. For our listeners who uh, have been to Comerica, uh, hit us up and let us know. Is is Comerica great? Is it kind of not awesome? Let us know. What are your what are your reviews of Comerica Park in Detroit? Uh, last question I have for you from our buddy Jordan White. What is the most surprising thing about being a new dad? Oh man, interesting question. What's the most surprising thing? Um, hmm. I think so far it's been that, like, you don't know anything, <laughs> but you just figure it out. I think that's kind yeah. of like the surprising thing. It's like, you, you're just like, oh, we have a baby. We bring the baby home. And you're like, okay, well, we just keep the baby alive. And you change the diapers. And then you just like gradually learn. And, but I didn't, you know, there's a lot of people that will study and read all of the like what to expect when you're expecting books and like being prepared for like how to, you know, take classes and like how to do all of this stuff. And like me and my wife, we just went to the hospital when she was pregnant and had the baby and brought her home and, and you're figuring out better milk and <laughs> change your diaper and there and here we are that's so. a good start i you know i don't i'm not stay, saying this from experience but from what i hear that seems to be above the bare minimum um it's i think that is the bare minimum <laughs> well there you go <laughs> but she's happy i mean it definitely helps that your wife is an OBGYN and like she knows about babies. She knows about pregnant women. 
Oh. She doesn't know about babies. <laughs> oh, see, my wife, my wife, um, <laughs> wants to go into pediatrics. Yeah. And so, uh, if and when we are looking to, you know, grow our family, uh, I feel almost no pressure to, like, read those books and things like that because my wife knows everything that I'll need to know, assumably. Yeah, but it could be a double-edged sword. So here's the thing. Carolyn, my wife, when she was pregnant, you know, used to like, oh, she knows everything about her pregnancy and because she just takes care of pregnant women all the time and that's her job. But she knows too much, you know? Like She's like, okay, this one random thing happened in my body. That means X, Y, and Z. And like there's been multiple times where she just like, you know, would freak out because she thinks that (laughs) – she thinks the worst of – and she has, you know, access to her – colleagues and sure. friends that are easy to be like oh i just need this double checked i just need to double check this one thing right oh, and just no. i want to make sure i'm okay and it's like obviously she's okay a pregnant obviously, obviously, but like yeah. you know when you're overly concerned that has that extra insight to everything yeah then that concern can turn into like you know extra worry that might not necessarily have to be there yeah, a pregnant obstetrician is. I, I would imagine <laughs> they are they are the popular colleague for the next nine months. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Hey, how how are things going today?" Sort yeah. of thing. I would imagine. Oh yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Jim, that's what I got. Any uh, any closing thoughts for us? Um, this has been a wonderful time. Yeah. Thank you, Austin. Absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And Elizabeth has been very good. She's been sleeping through the whole thing. Like she had one little like fussy point that we'll edit out, but man, she has been, she's been a gem tonight. Yeah, she has. You did such a good job. She's so good. Well, one more time. Where can the people find you on Twitter? Yeah. Check me out at Jim Chatterton PL on Twitter. Jim Chatterton PL. And you can catch Jim writing batter's box only once a week now instead of half the week. (laughs) Wednesdays. Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Check him out. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining me. And for Jim Chatterton and myself, this has been On The List. Thank you.